Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. I've got the wrong number on the slide. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> it is Ephesians chapter 3. I just did not notice that whenever I put that up there. I'm allowed one of those every now and then. Not too many, though. I'd like to start just by reading this text. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Tonight we're going to be looking at one of the most mind-blowing texts, I think, uh, that, that we find in the New Testament. Um, this text I don't, I have to confess, I don't fully understand. Uh, some texts are easier than others, and some texts, uh, as we approach them, we just have to recognize that they're beyond us. There's something about this text that makes it just extremely difficult for us to fully grasp all that is being said. Uh, and, and that, I think, is the nature of this text. It's a text that is probably one of the most encouraging texts that we find in the New Testament once we understand it and, and know what's going on here. But do we fully get it? Do we fully grasp it after spending hours upon hours mulling it over in our mind, rethinking it and trying to understand it? Well, not fully. Uh, there's always something more here to be thinking about. It seems like every time I've come back to this text, there's always something more. It's very deep. There's a lot to know. If I were to explain to you my desires for the church, I wouldn't be able to fully express all that was in me. And all of my thoughts and all of my desires would be hard to fully express what's going on in my mind and in my heart. And as we see Paul here stating uh, his prayer for the Ephesians and what he desires for them, I think we see some struggle of that, that, that some of the sentences aren't full. He's not like uh, fully explaining himself. And, and really in the first three chapters, like we've seen a lot of grammatical oddities in Paul's message to the Ephesians. But as we read through this, we just see so much information that he's just trying to pour out, and in some ways, it is difficult. 
But we know what this text is ultimately trying to tell us. It's not beyond us to understand the basics of it. It's just there's some deeper things here that maybe we need to spend a lot more time thinking about. But the basic statement of this text is that Paul is praying for the Ephesians to be strengthened. That's at the very core of all of this. He wants them to be strong. Coming right off the heels of uh, verse 13, where he said, I ask, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory, we see Paul explaining his prayer for them to be strengthened. The Ephesians are going to have to deal with the fact that Paul is going to die at some point uh, from execution because he preaches and proclaims the faith that the Ephesians believe. And they're going to have to deal with that and not be derailed from that, not lose heart or, or give up on God as a result of this horrible uh, punishment that's being given to Paul, who's completely innocent. And so he bows before the Father in prayer for their strength. But notice what he says, verse 14. Just think about this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Have you ever hit your knees before? It's a state of complete submission and complete uh, humility before the one who you are bowing your knees before. That you are unable to defend yourself, you're vulnerable before that person uh, or before God and you're just recognizing your unworthiness as you bow your knees before that person. So many times Roger uh, says that, and, and really my thought is, yeah, let's all get down on our knees and, and say a prayer together to God. Uh, and, and I think that would be great. But hopefully we're doing it in our hearts as we approach God's throne. Because it's a, it's a statement of truth that we are unworthy and notice as he says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. The reason he gave in the first three chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, he says, for this reason, and we, we kind of pointed to this because he started it at the beginning of chapter 3, uh, but all that he has said is God has blessed us immeasurably beyond what we deserve. He has adopted us into his family, even us who are far away, uh, the Gentiles, the, those who are dead in our sins and transgressions, those who are far off. He brought near by the blood of Christ and he paid for all of our sins and redeemed us to be his children, his chosen inheritance who he finds glory through. And Paul's only response is to just fall before God because of what God has done for him. I think that's the only logical response. But even beyond that, in chapter 3, he explains it a little bit further. And we went through that last time uh, a couple weeks ago, how Paul is, is making this very clear. He, the least of all the saints, was given the, the greatest of responsibility to share the gospel to the Gentiles. And he just, in himself, feels completely unworthy of this great task and this great responsibility. And he just falls before God and he asks God, strengthen them. 
ensure that they do not lose heart. Have you ever prayed for God to strengthen your brethren? About a year ago, that things were getting really hard. Did this enter your mind? Did this enter your prayers? Is this still entering your mind and entering your prayers? God wants us to pray to Him, and He wants us to be thinking about others, but is that in our heart, like it is in Paul's heart, that He is bowing before the Father's throne and praying, God, please strengthen us. As you look at this, Paul goes on, and he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's talking about God, and he's, he's kind of explained this, right? God is the Father of all. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. He wants them to be strengthened. And many people, as they read this text, and as I'm listening to other people's sermons on this text and, and reading about this text, many people like to focus in on the how. It's not just enough to, to, to see that Paul is praying for the Ephesians to be strengthened. But there's this wondering, how exactly is Paul expecting God to strengthen the Ephesians? What is Paul expecting God to do in order to strengthen them so that they don't lose heart given the current distress and the trials that they're going through. He says that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Well, that's a, that's a statement right there that is subject to much debate and much concern as people look at it. Maybe as you look at it, you, you just kind of wonder, what does that mean exactly? How exactly... Does that happen? How does God strengthen us with his power through the Spirit in our inner being? Well, I don't know all the ins and outs of that, and I'm not going to act like I do. But I will say this, however the Spirit sees fit to strengthen our hearts. <laughs> Paul doesn't direct the Spirit on how to do this. He just simply says, God, strengthen them with your spirit. Strengthen their inner being. Help them to, to become strong internally in their faith, in their uh, desires to please you. Strengthen their heart. Strengthen their mind. Strengthen their resolve to be focused on you, to do your will in everything they do. This is what Paul is praying that God would do. And he's not going to direct Paul on how to do it. And he's not necessarily assuming that he understands exactly what God is going to do to accomplish this. But ultimately, Paul is actually referring to a promise that God has given to all of us. In one of my favorite Old Testament texts back in Ezekiel, we see that God intends to do something for his people that is as mind-blowing as what we see Paul praying for in this text. God promises to help 
his people do his will. He promises to create a people who he will draw to himself, that they will be his people, he will be their God, and that they will share a relationship with one another. Let's read this together in Ezekiel 36, verse 25. God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God promise that God is going to work in this people, that he's going to give them a new heart, a new spirit. He's going to take away the heart of stone and he's going to put his own spirit, his own uh, heart that is flesh inside of us, a heart that desires to do the will of God. So there's there's a sense in which in this promise, God is saying, I am going to form your inner man to be what I want it to be after these days come, after I sprinkle you clean and I remove these idols and remove all the evils that are pressing in on you, I'm going to to change, transform your inner man. We kind of wonder how and, and what exactly God is going to do. Well, aside from just looking at the text, I think we can find in plenty of other places how God does this. Um, And just obvious to me is the word is being used to transform us. The word is the gift that God has given us to create in us a new heart and a new spirit as it reveals to us the gospel, as it reveals to us exactly what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. That word has a transforming effect inside of us, and it's supposed to change us. But even outside of the word, I know and I believe that God is working. And I don't think anybody would deny that God is providentially working in the world around us. And so I don't see a reason to just say he's only working through the word whenever, in fact, throughout the word, he makes it very clear he's working providentially in many different ways. And so I'm not going to claim that it's only through the word in this way or that way, but I will leave it up to him to determine how to strengthen my inner being. I have been strengthened through many of you uh, outside of the word, and it gives me lots of strength. I've been strengthened even through the world and people in the world, and, and all of these things are working together to strengthen my resolve and my desire to serve God faithfully. And I hope and I pray that God is strengthening each and every one of you in whatever way he can to bring you to greater strength and greater faithfulness. Really, ultimately, that's what we want and that's what we should be looking for. So many times, though, as we think about outside of the word... Uh, we understand that there is a misconception in the world about 
feelings and things like that. And then there's this kind of battle that we, we try to wage against the feeling side. And the feeling side is waging a battle against the cold, unfeeling side. And it's just like, why are we doing all this, you know? Um, I don't know. We just, we tend to do that. But the truth is, both. God is working in us. He's working on us. He's forming us. He's molding us. And when we try to categorize that kind of stuff, it's really just a waste of time. And it's just an attempt to be discouraging toward one another. Uh, The Word encourages us. God encourages us as He works on us throughout our lives. Let us be grateful for such a wonderful God that we serve. Uh, And I think that's uh, really ultimately what we should be looking for is God to strengthen our resolve and make us more faithful. Uh, If you're a member of this congregation and you're much more focused on the word, be thankful for those who are much more focused on the feeling and the, the encouragement they get from God throughout the events that unfold in their life because maybe we need to do that more. And if you're here and you're really focused on feeling, be thankful for those who are really focused on the word who can help you understand all that God has done for us to to strengthen us through the word, uh, which is a great source of encouragement for us. But this text really isn't about the depth of all that. (laughs) It just seems to allude to it. And so I wanted to try to share a little bit to try to help understand that. Uh, I don't know if that helps, but I tried a little bit. Um, As you look at this, you notice Paul's prayer is for uh, the Ephesians to be strengthened by the Spirit in their inner being, working in some way. And the purpose is so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That's the overall desire that Paul has. He wants them to be strengthened to the point where Christ is seen in them, that Christ is living in them because of the way they live. And as he prays for them to have this, uh, he says some interesting words. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Uh, and, And this idea, according to the riches of God's glory, just think about that for a second. He uses that kind of terminology, that phraseology a good bit. According to the riches of his glory. How much glory does God have in store? There's no limit to God's glory, okay? Uh, There's no limit to God's glory. So Paul is praying that according to the amount of glory that God possesses, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How much strength does Paul want the Ephesians to have? Is it just enough to teach one person? Is it just enough to maybe overcome one sin? Is that how much strength he wants the Ephesians to have? Well, how much glory does God have? in store. And and what Paul is essentially saying is, God, I want you in all of your glory, in all of your might, in all of your power, I want you to fill these Christians with strength. However much glory you have, give them that much strength. Well, how much strength do we need (laughs) to accomplish 
uh, reflecting God's glory in the world around us. We need strength not just to convert or to help one person understand the gospel. We need strength more than just overcoming one sin in our life. We need strength to be like Christ. And that's what he says here, that you, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That your heart would be Christ's heart. That you and Christ would be one together working in the world. Notice in the first half of the book, he says, in Christ... We have all the spiritual blessings. We are in Christ, Jesus. We are in His body. And now He says, I want Christ to be in us. So it's reciprocal. We are in Him, receiving all the spiritual blessings. He is in us, receiving all the glory as we are transformed to be like Him. And this is what Paul is asking God to do. Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith is saying that our hearts are so in tune to the will of God that Jesus feels right at home in us. We, our, our body feels like his body as he was on the earth because our hearts and our minds and our wills are to do the will of God, just as Jesus' heart and mind and will was to do the will of God. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine what it would look like to have this much strength infused in you, that you would have a heart's desire that always, in every situation, wants to do the will of God as Jesus did the will of God. That sounds pretty amazing. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, and if you know that Jesus is the one who fulfilled uh, God's plan for mankind, and you know that if you could just be like Jesus, you would make God so satisfied. Then this is what we're looking for. If this is everything to you, this is exactly what you're looking for. That God would somehow work in us to strengthen our inner man so that Christ is in us as we walk out these doors around our neighbors, our friends, and our family. It's a pretty awesome prayer. We need to pray like this a lot. We need to pray for God to work, to strengthen us. We need to seek strength through the word and through whatever it is that God wants to do in our lives to build us up to be like Christ. We need to be seeking that with everything we have. But as we hear these words, we know that doesn't seem that possible. How could we ever be that strong? All these temptations around us on a daily basis... Uh, all these uh, discouragements, all these uh, failures that we've got in our past, and all these bad habits that we have created in our life, make this seem far-fetched. Like there's no way we will ever be like Christ in our lives. We're just way too far away from that. 
But notice as Paul continues, he reveals to us that God has given us an infinite well to drink from every day and find the strength. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he explains how that would possibly happen. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How could we ever be that strong? Well, he tells us, you first of all must be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is this picture of your, your strong root system going out uh, that, that holds you steady in all of life's storms. Down in uh, West Palm Beach, we, we went a, over in the intercoastal. There's this huge, huge tree. And the roots are sticking up out of the ground taller than, than we are. Uh, there is just a huge tree. It's on the intercoastal, so it's, it's getting all the hurricane force wind and everything. But it's just huge. How is it still there? Well, the roots, it's rooted very well. Those huge sequoias out west that are thousands of years old, how is it still there? Well, its root system is so strong, it can withstand whatever comes at it. And here Paul says that we might be rooted and grounded in love. That love that God has poured in our hearts is the root system that is supposed to grow and spread. And as he, as he goes through this, he starts to explain. He says uh, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth. Now, what does he mean whenever he starts these four different dimensions? Breadth. Think about width and, and, and how broad something is. Consider for a second the breadth of Christ's love. How broad is it? Well, it's reaching everybody, right? It doesn't, it doesn't leave out somebody because they're from this nation or they look like this or uh, whatever. It's, it's completely broad, far-reaching. Consider the breadth of Christ's love, that it would even be for you and me. Then he says the length of Christ's love. Consider, think about, dwell on how long is Christ's love for you? How long will He love you? Is there a time when the length is not enough, that it's short? No. He loves you and His length is, is never-ending in His love for you. He is long-suffering toward us all. Consider the length of Christ's love for you. And then he says, consider the height of Christ's love for you. Christ in, is in heaven itself, and we are with Christ in the heavenly places, and, and we don't really get a picture of anything that we're going to be left out of. We rule with Him. We sit with Him in the heavenly places. We receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Consider how much, how high His love is for you. And consider how deep it is. 
we love very few people deeply in our lives. We're on guard. We're, we're trying to be careful. We don't want to get hurt by loving people too deeply. Consider how deeply Christ loves you. He loves you with everything he has. He loves you deeply. He went to the cross to die for you before you even accepted him. That's complete vulnerability right there. Complete, deep love. And here Paul says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in the love that Christ has for you. And he says, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. As you start considering these things, you just kind of run out. Like, I don't know, uh, it's, it's beyond what I could express or understand or fully grasp. And he says, exactly. This is where your strength comes from. This is what fills you with all the fullness of God and, and helps you to push forward in your obedience and in your service and in your faithfulness. This is what strengthens your resolve in all of life's trials so that you cannot lose heart because you know how much God loves you and you know how much Christ loves you and that His love will always be there for each and every one of us. And if he loves us that much, how could we not love him? We've never been loved like God loves us. We've never been loved like God loves us. But that's not all that Paul tells us in this text. Look at verse 20. He says, probably one of the favorite verse of many... Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, God being able to do things for us. And, and why is Paul telling us this? Well, he's making it very clear that we have an infinite supply of strength at our disposal. He says God is able to do what we ask. But he says a whole lot more than that, doesn't he? He says he's able to do more than we ask, abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. There's no limit to what God can do, and he is working to strengthen you. He says, according to the power that is at work within us. It's exactly what he's pointing to. He's pointing us right back to what he said. I am bowing my knees before the Father that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. As you uh, are, are experiencing life, as you are experiencing 
the working of God in your life, as you are experiencing the understanding of God's love for you, and you're studying and, and meditating on all the things that you find about God, may He be working inside of you to bring about Christ in your life for all the world to see God's glory. It's a fitting end to the first half of the book of Ephesians. I mean, it's just so full of mind-blowing things throughout the entire first three chapters. But as you get to the end and you start to see all this that he is praying, uh, I hope that you understand the main thread throughout is that God has saved us to glorify him. And then we just need to ask ourselves, is God being glorified in us? That's the main question. That's the main uh, desire that should be in us. After we see all that God has done, is he being glorified in us? And we understand what Paul is asking for God to do is what we need as well. We need inner strength to overcome all of the trials and the sufferings in this life. As he focuses in on the inner man, I remember 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul says that the outer man is wasting away. And he portrays this life as one trial after another and it's this momentary light affliction that, that doesn't even compare to the weight of glory that is coming. But he says in that our inner man is being renewed day by day. This is what we need. Every single day, we need to wake up with a reminder, with a focus on the love of Christ. And that, that should never get old because there is no end to understanding how much Christ loves us. And then we can walk a little bit more in the footsteps of Jesus each and every day. As we pray for God to continually strengthen us to focus us on being like Christ and as we meditate on God's love and his power toward us who believe. I pray that God strengthens us all, makes us faithful uh, in every single thing that we do. As we open up his word and study it together, I pray that he's building in us hearts and minds that see his will and everything we do as we leave these, these doors and go out into the world. One of the things that I was studying that I thought was really good was a statement by Tim Keller. He's an evangelical uh, preacher. He said, uh, whenever he's meditating on what he studied, this is what he thinks, and, and he prays to God. He says, Lord God, if I really knew in the depths of my being what I just read was true, how would I be different? How would my emotions be different? How would my will be different? And how would everything be different if I really knew in the depths of my being that all these things were true? I think that kind of evaluation, that kind of meditation is what Paul is praying that these Ephesians would do as they go into the, the writings of Paul, as they go into the Old Testament 
and they try to apply these things. It's the very thing I try to do as I'm studying these things for myself, and I hope that you will do the same. If you know how much God loves you, how does that transform your heart and your mind to, to serve him faithfully? Only then can Christ be found in us, and only then can God be glorified by us. That's what we're all seeking for. And if you're here this evening and you are in need of help or encouragement in your desire to serve God and your faithfulness to God, if we can help you in any way, we want to help you. Please don't delay until it's too late. Uh, please instead focus your mind and your heart on the love of God towards you and submit to his will. If we can help you, please come as we stand and as we sing.